They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and test them. For what else can I do because of my people? The tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor. But in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? I will take up weeping and wailing for the mountains and a lamentation for the pastors of the wilderness because they are laid waste so that no one passes through. And the lowing of cattle is not heard. But the birds of the air and the beasts have fled and are gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without habitation. Who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and, and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? And the Lord says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but they have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals, after their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they, they nor their fathers have known. And I will send the, the sword after them until I have consumed them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider and call for the mourning women to come. Send for the skillful women to come. Let them make haste and raise a wailing over us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids flow with water. For a sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined. We are utterly shamed because we have left the land because they have cast down our dwellings. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of the Lord. Teach your daughters a lament, and each to his neighbor a dirge, for death has come upon into our windows. It has entered our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. Speak, declares the Lord. The dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves upon the reaper, and none shall gather them. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, 
justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God. You may take your seat. Praise God. Praise God for the reading of his word. Um, there's nothing like hearing God's word. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been studying 1 Corinthians and talking about this church. Um, who was really fascinated with the gifts of the Spirit to the point that the cross had become something other than what it was meant to be. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do pray um, to you in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at that name every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, things in heaven and things on, a, on the earth and things under the earth. Father, we acknowledge that name. Father, it is in that name that we are gathered. It's in that authority that we speak, Father. I thank you, Father, as your son and as your servant, granted to me utterance that I may boldly may know the mystery of the gospel. Father, may I be faithful to the text, and may your word speak and deal with the hearts and the minds of your people, Father. Thank you that you have given us your word that we may live. You said that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of your mouth. And I thank you that it's with that authority that I speak, not as a mere man, but I speak as a representative of, your, you, of you, who you are, Father. And I thank you, give unto me the gift of teaching, that I may teach your word faithfully. Give unto your people the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. Thank you, Father, for your word. Father, I thank you that your gospel sets us free, that we were saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. And I thank you, Father, for the future glory and future grace that will be are manifested in the days of ahead. Father, I thank you that we're looking for, we're looking towards, looking forward to spending all the eternity with you. Father, what a glorious time that that will be where time is not a thing that we have to deal with, but finally in your presence. For in the fullness of your presence, there are riches 
forevermore. Joy that we do not know. And I thank you that this is the hope that we have, that one day that you will crack the sky and you will call us to yourself and forever we'll be with the Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. That day is coming soon. We're excited about that day. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to being with Jesus, um, being able to bathe, bathe in his presence, being overwhelmed, being able to see his face. That is the hope of every believer. Amen. So let's, we've been studying 1 Corinthians. We're going to end chapter 1 today. Um, how many know that we're going to talk about the centrality of the cross? God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. The gospel is unlike any other message. You can think about all the different messages, the message of nonviolence. You know, today, this month is Black History Month, and we celebrate the likes of Martin Luther King and different um, blacks who represented um, us, and we're standing on those shoulders of those black men and women who stood for justice, who represented a people like us. And yet God chose to bring to us this complex gospel. Um, I think that it's an insult to say that the gospel is simple. Um, I think that it, is, it has some simple elements to it, but it is very complex. Um, one gentleman, he said that he was on his, he was on his deathbed, and he says, he was a minister uh, for all of his life, and he said, you know, I, finally, I think I'm finally understanding a little bit of the gospel. And this is at the end of his life. And um, it's going to take forever to understand the greatness of our God that was given, that was in Christ Jesus. Um, everybody knows that God is sovereign, and he really is in control. Again, the gospel is complex, and we need to be honest with ourselves that it isn't an easy pill to swallow. You think about the gospel, the gospel, <laughs> um, play a little play on words, how that it is extremely hard to swallow. Jesus said some very hard things. Forsake all you have and follow me. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Um, you follow me, know that if they treated the master wrong, they're going to treat you wrong. Very hard sins. Then one day he said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And then the Bible says the whole crowd turned on him and walked away. <laughs> and he turned to his disciples, will you too leave me? And so we, we see our Savior that is, is um, bidding us to follow him in a world that is going against him. Um, in some Christian circles, we have reduced the gospel to a need-centered gospel that has attached, attracted thousands and yet no transformation. Um, you know what, what I'm talking about when I say the need-centered gospel? That means that if you're lonely, God, Jesus can feel your loneliness. If you're depressed, Jesus can give you some joy. Now, we know that those things are true, but... That's not the reason why we get saved, for loneliness. You know, um, you, can, you can go to, if you're ever lonely, you can um, talk to somebody on a computer. 
inbox them on Facebook, you know. So it's not just filling a need, but the greatest need was actually our salvation, the saving of our souls. This gospel has simple elements such as come like a child, and yet this is hard because of our sinful nature is rooted in pride. So Jesus tells us to come like a child, and yet we have to humble ourselves, which is a, a battle. If you, everybody in here has dealt and is dealing with and shall deal with pride. <laughs> it's just one of those sinful natures that we inherit for, from our forefather, Adam. <laughs> and that's something that we have to deal with. And so yet Jesus tells us to come and be like a child. Um, God is the one who softens our hearts and draws us to himself. And we, we had some great theological discussions last night with a couple of young people. And we discussed some, the complexity of the gospel, what it really means to follow Christ. Um, things that are hard to believe and even to accept. Those are things that we should think through. Those are things that we should discuss it's so much easier to say, just, I just want to serve Jesus, and that's all I want to know. It, it, it's much more than that. As you read the Bible, you hear and you read hard things in the Bible, things that we don't understand, things that are complex, that we need to struggle with. Amen. We, we, we don't need to have a surface Christianity. And some of us, we're lazy thinkers. We don't want to think when it comes to the word of God. Um, one young lady said last night that it's easy sometimes to just say um, something and just believe it and, and that's it. It's easier to go to a prophet or a prophetess and get a word from God than for you to pray and get direction for yourself. I think that's lazy. <laughs> um, so Paul wrote to the church of Corinth a letter that wasn't easy to read. He declared the sovereignty of our king and he revealed to them the need for the centrality of the gospel. So let's begin with verse 1 and go down. We're going to finish up chapter 1 and then we'll move on to chapter 2 um, next week. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. And so you think about this, Paul is called by the will of God. How many can say that you're called by the will of God? That we were born not of the will of man, though our mom and dad got together. It was the will of God that brought us forth. And, I, and it says, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Notice that we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Whatever God has done, he has done it in Christ. He created the world in Christ and for his glory. He says, we're sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Notice that we're called to be saints together. Christianity is not a, a private matter. It's a public matter because you're connected with a bunch of sinners like yourself. <laughs> you think about it. It's, it's hard to deal with that. Um, we have to remove the mentality of it's just me and Jesus and my relationship. 
It's so much more than just me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and his people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It starts with you and Jesus. But then it spreads out to your brothers and your sisters. Love one another. Pray for one another. Um, carry each other's burdens. All of that is in the life of a Christian. And if you're not connected to his people, then there might be a problem with your relationship with Jesus. Jesus relates even in 1 John. He says, how can you love God whom you haven't seen when you don't love your brothers and your sisters who you see daily? And so God equates our love for him to our love for our brothers and sisters. There is no getting around it. God doesn't want us to be isolated. Never, never attempt to follow Christ alone. You know, no man is an island to himself. You need a community of, believer, of believers who will call you on the carpet when you're in your sins. And that's what we're trying to, to build here of, of community where we're accountable to each other, we're praying for each other, we're, we're, we're checking on each other. And that is what Paul is saying. P together, called to be saints together with all those who call on the name of the Lord. Verse 3 says, And grace to you and peace from God and from our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he's saying God's grace is to you. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's, it's, it's undeserved favor to you and peace from God. God has given us peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah. And so we know that the Father is the Father of peace. And Romans 5.1 says that we've been justified with God by, by faith. And therefore we have peace with God. And so Paul is declaring to them that there, there's peace from God because you have peace with God. Some people are seeking the peace from God without seeking the peace with God. Amen. And peace with God comes only through the blood of Jesus. That blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. That blood that satisfied. It is the propitiation for, of the Father. It satisfied the wrath of God, turning their wrath into favor. That is what the blood of Jesus does. Um, it, you know, I, I was reading um, somebody's status on Facebook and they had the question, what does it mean to plead the blood? I, I grew up in a Pentecostal background where you plead in the blood. I plead the blood of Jesus. And I wanted to respond. I didn't. I just didn't feel like getting into a debate with anybody. But I wanted to respond. The word plead just means I take my stand like you plead the fifth. And so when we say we plead the blood of Jesus, it says, my stand is the blood of Jesus. When the enemy comes against you, my stand is the blood of Jesus. When the enemy tells you you are guilty and condemned because of your sins, your stand, if you're in Christ, is the blood of Jesus. And so that's all that means. <laughs> now, I know some people may mean it some, some other way. I plead the blood. Well, we have to think about what we're doing. It's not found in the Bible, the word plead, but again, it's like you're pleading the fifth. I'm taking a stand, and that's all it's saying. <laughs> but anyway, that's another subject for another day. Um, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. How many know that there's grace in Christ? We have grace that abounds. Thank God that we can't earn this grace. Thank God that we can't. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's grace. He is just gracious because he is. It says, for by grace you are saved, not of the works of our own self, lest any man should boast. 
And as Jason read earlier, let no one boast of his own wisdom, but boast in the Lord. That is because of grace, we are, that we are what we are. And we have what we have. And we do what we do because of God's grace. Amen. We could close the Bible and go home just on thinking about grace. Verse 5 says that in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and all knowledge. This church had gifts. You talking about gifts? I'm talking about power gifts, miracles, um, tongues and interpretation. And they're flowing and, and God is ministering to people. And he said that you have been enriched in all speech and knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, let it be said to of us that Christ is confirmed among us. Let the world see that Christ is in us. How, how shall the world know that we are his children? By our love one to another. Amen. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gifts as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. How many know that Jesus will sustain us to the end? He that started a good work will complete it. You don't have to worry about it. If you're really saving Christ, God is doing a work in you daily, and he's going to sustain you. He's going to get you through to the very end. That's good news. Uh, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only will he sustain us, but he's going present to present to himself that we're freed of guilt. We, we, we're not like, we're not going to be judged like the world because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we're called into this fellowship, this partnership, this intimacy, this, this relationship through his son. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no division among you, that you will be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. How I many know that as a church, we need to be of the same mind, the same judgment, that we need to be on the same page, fighting and striving for the faith that is in Christ Jesus, contending for the faith that was delivered to us by the saints of old. Verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, and I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except for um, Crippus or Gaius and Gaius, so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize anyone else. Paul is not belittling baptism. He's just trying to say that, listen, among you, I only baptize a couple of you all. So don't boast and say, I follow Paul. In other words, don't get in the spirit of division by saying that you are a, a, a Lord to me because of, of you getting saved or you, God is blessing you through my ministry. Don't focus on that. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Again, he's not um, belittling water baptism. That was something that the Lord Jesus instituted. You know, he was baptized. How many know if Jesus was baptized, we need to be baptized? Amen. I mean, there, there shouldn't be any discussion about that. If you're saved, you need to be baptized if you haven't. We don't believe in infant baptism. <laughs> I'm sorry. And um, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words with eloquent wisdom, let, lest the cross of Christ be empty of its power. 
In other words, Christ sent Paul to preach the cross, the gospel, and not so much with eloquent wisdom or persuading speech. In other words, we're not to look to preach the gospel to unbelievers to persuade them with words that will impress them. Again, this, this church was in a city where they went for entertainment to look, listen to the debaters of that age to, who, who declare such wisdom of this world. And it brings us to our text, verse 18. For the word of, crawl, of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise in the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? What is the, where is the debaters, the, the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what was preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling. Brothers, not many of you were according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring the, to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. For the reading of the word of God. Verse 18 says this. It talks about for the word. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All right. So many people want to see and experience the power of God. The power of God is that we are saved. The message of the cross is foolish to the world. You think about the cross, preaching of a man, an innocent man dying for guilty people. It's foolish. The world cannot comprehend it and refuse to accept it. It sounds like a fairy tale. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, yet died on a cross. And in three days, the Lord, the Father raised him up from the dead. And now he sits on the right hand of the Father, making prayers for us, and he's going to come back again. It sounds like a fairy tale. The question that comes to my mind is, what is the message of the cross? You know, if, if Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the message of the cross? You have to think about this. And if you're in here and you're not a Christian, then you should say, what is the cross? What does that mean? We, we have the cross. You know, you have the little sign. Um, you have people wear crosses. Some people get tattooed um, the cross. But what does that actually mean? 
You know, as Christians, we, we talk about the cross of Christ. What does that mean? Um, it is, if, if, this, if this message is foolish to those who aren't saved, and it is the power of God to those who have been saved, then what is the message of the cross? Without a clear understanding of the cross, we are doomed to a Christless eternity. Did you hear me? Without a clear understanding of the cross, we are doomed for a Christless eternity. So we need to study the cross. We need to see what took place at that cross. Why did an innocent man have to go to the cross? The cross at that day was the capital punishment of that day. It was like similar to the electric chair. Why did this man have to die this death? This horrible death. And yet the Gentiles and the Greeks looked at it as, this is, you know what, this is not wisdom. Why are, you why, why are you declaring a message of a man who died on this cross? This message deals with our depravity, depravity and the glorious justice of the king. When discussing the cross, we're dealing with how God's justice was met and our sins dealt with. Okay, it's when God's justice, a lot of people talk about, oh, God loves you. God loves you. And when you see the scriptures, when Paul and Peter and the apostles, even Jesus declared the gospel, very few did he use the word God loves you to try to draw people to be saved. An innocent man died for a guilty people. A holy just God received the payments of a wretched people. The horror of our sins has yet to be known. I don't think we see sin the way God sees it. We see, you know, some of us, we talk about sin. We talk about, oh, they fornicated or they cussed or they gossip or they stole money from their job. And it's very light. They got issues. You know, that's today's version of sin. Oh, they just got issues. God is going to get them through their issues. But sin is a horrible thing. Um, uh, we don't understand the ugliness of sin. That sin, God hates sin. It's something that he cannot stand. He is such a holy and just God that he has to punish sin. Grace was given to a people who didn't deserve it. We cannot truly appreciate grace until we know the ugliness of sin. Until we see sin the way that God sees it. And as we read scriptures, you can see even um, God destroyed cities over sin. You see that um, Adam, when Adam disobeyed God and sinned against the holy God, God kicked him out of his garden. And we would say that that's not love. We're not being sensitive to their issues. And yet God dealt with it another way. And, and as you read Genesis, you, Genesis chapter 3, you see that God punished an innocent animal for human sins, which is a representation of Christ dying for guilty people. Again, we cannot truly appreciate grace until we know the ugliness of sin. This message of the cross is saving us even now. Sometimes we talk about salvation just in the past, we were saved on April the 6th, 2009. And not understanding that we were saved and we've been saved and we shall be saved. The gospel, the gospel is in, um, the gospel, salvation is in threefold. 
past, present, and future. You think about a ship, and we were all on an island of sin, of destruction, and yet God sent a boat to save us. And so we're on the ship now, like Noah in the ark, and we can say we were, we, we were saved. A ship came and saved us. But then we, at the same time, we're not yet to our destination. So we, and we're in the process of being saved. We were saved from the destructive island, and we're being saved because we're still on the boat, and then when we get into our destination, we'll be saved. Threefold. Understanding of grace. Understanding of future grace. Um, the gospel is sanctifying us even now. You think about it. What makes a person, they get saved by God's grace, God saves them. Then what keeps them saved? It's grace. It's the gospel. The gospel is keeping us saved even now. And the gospel will save us in the future. It is um, it's a sustaining gospel, and it sustains those who are chosen by God. Let's look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of, this, of the discerning I will thwart. So this is judgment. He's quoting from Isaiah. It, this, is a, um, this is God's judgment on human knowledge and human wisdom. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will, the discernment of the discerning, I will throw This is judgment. God is judging this people. And that's found in Isaiah 29, verse 14. You see that um, um, Paul is linking the Old Testament narrative of judgment and grace at the paradox of the cross. Foolishness to some, but in reality, power of salvation. This, the previous verse in Isaiah 29, um, verse 13, talks about people drawing near with their mouths and, uh, and, and drawing far in their hearts. And so, how many know that God, and it's almost as if God is saying, I am destroying the wisdom of the wise even now. And I'm saving those who, are, who were saved even now. This reveals the unfolding of the drama of salvation is, yet, is not yet complete. So he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And so as we see, God has pronounced judgment on the wisdom of this world. Think about the wisest person that you know now in your life. I'm not just talking about somebody like Bill Gates and some, somebody you know in your life now. That wisdom, if they're not in Christ, God will destroy their wisdom. Verse 20, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Um, verse, uh, thinking about verse 21, um, basically, I mean, verse 20 says, Paul is asking where the wise and the scribe and the debater of this age. In other words, God has made the foolish has made the foolish the wisdom of this world. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. In other words, God has brought down the wisdom of this world. God's wisdom is much more higher than any human knowledge and wisdom. 
The, this city thrived off the wisdom of philosophers. And Paul, Paul was making it clear that the best of this world is nothing to be compared to the wisdom of the Lord. Nothing can be compared to the wisdom of God. He didn't allow the wisdom of this world to bring a person to salvation. What the world sees as foolish is the very thing that is able to save them. It's actually divine wisdom and divine power. The preaching of the cross is foolish to the world because they're perishing. But to those who believe in it are being saved. So God chose the art or the, the science of preaching the cross as means to save people. And that's foolish to the world. Verse 21 says, for since, the wisdom, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God flipped the script. The wisdom of this world cannot lead to the creator. You think about all the wise, the, 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 wise, the wisdom of the world will not lead you to salvation, but only faith in Christ. The Bible talks about that in 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's go over there real quick. 2 Timothy 2.15. Is it hot in here? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 2 Timothy 2. Verse 15. Well, I didn't mean to say 15. And, hold on. I'm sorry, 3.15. It's really supposed to be 3.15. 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we see that God flipped the script and said, you know what? If you want to be wise in salvation, God gave us his word. He gave us his book. Let's look at verse 22. Go back to 1 Corinthians 1.22. It says, The Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews were seeking, I'm fine. Okay, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. God flipped the script. The wisdom of this world cannot lead um, to the creator. Um, the Jews were seeking a sign. Greeks were seeking wisdom. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, 1 through 4, Luke chapter 11, verse 16, you see that they came to Jesus looking for a sign. Verse 23, it says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. All right. So do you know that the Bible talks about how Christ is a stumbling block to some and he's the savior to others? Either you will love him or you'll hate him. Either you will follow him or reject him. That, that's, that's the way it goes. Either God will soften, soften your heart or he's going to harden your heart through Christ. The Jews and the Gentiles who were not believers found the proclamation of the gospel and the cross grossly offensive. Some Christians in Corinth have tried to move beyond the centrality of the cross.
perhaps they were trying to be more spirit-centered religion. Do you know what I'm talking about? Spirit-centered religion? Um, they put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's moving. He's speaking. Um, don't you see the wave of the Holy Spirit? And yet, Paul put emphasis on the cross. Because as you move into the spirit-centered gospel, you, you move into um, um, mysteries. And, and uh, you know, I, it, it's, it's almost as if, you know, everything is subjective. What I feel that the Lord is saying to you is, whereas there's no authority based on the word of God. Yes, I believe in being led by the spirit, but he is always in sync with the word. He's never out sync with the word. So if somebody gives you a word, if it doesn't line up with the word, it's not the word. It's not from God. There's no way that it can be from God. And so this church, because of the gifts of the spirit, because of the power of God in manifestation, they were seeking a spirit-centered gospel, moving away from the cross, what it means to follow Christ. What it means to reject and deny yourself. The cross of Christ is the very foundation of our identity as Christians. No cross, no Christianity. We have, if you remove the cross, you have a Christless Christianity. You have a Christianity that is not described from the Bible. That's hard, but it's the truth. You don't come to church to get inspired. You come to church to hear from God so that he, you can be more like him, so you can follow him. The gospel itself is the proclamation of the cross. Follow to many, that, uh, many it may be, but effective reality of transforming power, it is those who are on their way to salvation. Christ crucified is the point of the entire Bible. The glory of God displayed through judgment and salvation at the cross of Christ. It is the center, central message of the Bible. It points to the event of all events. How it is because of that cross we are made righteous in the sight of God. No cross, then that we have no God. If there's no cross, there's no God. We have to hear the cross. We have to preach the cross. We have to live the cross. We have to have a cross-centered life. And what does that mean? That means that we're seeing life through the lens of the cross. I'm crucified. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, the, but not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Verse 25 uh, talks about this. Uh, verse 24 says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, I must confess something that for years and years and years and years and years, I struggled with this verse because it's talking about the foolishness of God and it's talking about the weaknesses of God. So I'm thinking, well, is God weak? Is he foolish? But that's not what the scripture is saying. It's talking about saying, see, God uses the weak of this world. And even the way that he uses the weak is, is actually stronger than the might of the world. He uses the foolish things of this world, which is stronger than the wisest thing in the world. Y'all see that? 
So he's not viewing God as being weak or um, foolish. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. All right, let's stop there, verse 29. So we can see here that God is, Paul is forcing the Christians at Corinth to reflect upon their secular status or class of those whom God has chosen to demonstrate the nature of his wisdom. The elite of the first century were described as wise, and yet God chose the foolish in contrast to the wise, the weak in preference to the powerful, at those whom secular society regarded as nobodies as opposed to those who were counted as important. God's purpose of doing this is to prevent any boasting in secular status. It's all a matter of divine favor because of Christ, all that is needed to be found in Christ Jesus. So check this out. So God is using, he's, Paul is causing them to reflect that we, we were of noble births. We didn't come from rich and famous. Is that saying that rich and famous people can be, can't be saved? No, by no means. It's just simply saying that he uses those things, he chooses those things that does not look like the norm. Like a king would choose somebody who's, you know, um, somebody of, 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 of great status. You know, so God chose the opposite. He chose the nobodies. Um, if you think about those whom he chose to come to the birth of Christ, he chose those who are poor, the shepherds. Yet he chose the wise men, but yet he chose the shepherds too. He chose a virgin, birth, a virgin um, teenager by the name of Mary who came from a very poverty-stricken household. And yet God, this is how God did things. And this is how he does. So we can consider our own callings and what we came from. Why did God choose you? Did he choose you because you look good? Did he choose you because you're from a wealthy family? He chose you because of his grace. And he said, therefore, no one can be boast. Nobody can boast of that the fact that, oh, I'm this and I'm that. God chose me because I'm, I'm, I'm the bum. I'm fly. You know, there's a Christian song called I'm fly. And, you know, God chose me because I'm fly. What, what bringing God's glory relating to your flyness? I mean, are you serious? I mean, the Lord is more fly than all of us, you know? And for us to think that he chose us because I'm special, because, and, and this is real good in a lot of Pentecostal circles, and I can talk about this because that's where I came from, um, is that, oh, I prayed. I'm, I'm a prayer warrior, I, God uses me. We, you see people equate their spiritual gifts to their maturity in Christ. God spoke to me. I prayed and things changed. Well, does that mean that God is honoring you and, and saved you because you were somebody special? We need a reality check. And it's not about us. Salvation, we didn't choose God. God chose us. We weren't even thinking about God. Romans 3 says no one was seeking him. No one has understanding. Everybody was going about their own way. And God all of a sudden invaded our world. Look at Paul. 
who was a Saul at the time. God invaded his world. He was about his own business. So this is how God saves people. Through the preaching, through the foolishness of, of, of the cross, we're saved. <laughs> it just kind of messes up our whole, wow, you mean to tell me my, my networking doesn't save me? No, it's, it's, it's just the grace of God. Let's any man should boast. Um, and then the last verse is, is because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's, let's, let's look at this. It's because of who we're in Christ Jesus. It's because of God that we're in Christ Jesus. It's because of God we are in Christ Jesus. Let's think about that a little bit. It's because of God you are in Christ Jesus. You can't get sick. One of the things we talked about last night in a heavy theological discussion um, was that can you choose to be saved? Can you one day say, you know, I just want to be saved. Can you choose to be saved? God has to do something in your heart. It's because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it is because of God's divine favor, because of Christ, for all that is in, in need, is needed to be found in Christ Jesus. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, holiness, redemption are found in Christ alone. Our salvation, listen to this, our salvation is the work of God and not of human will. Our salvation is the work of God and not of human will. You didn't choose to be born, right? God chose for you to be born. And he, he likens that in John 3 to spiritual birth. God chose you to be spiritually born. That's why you're saved. <laughs> that just kind of messes up like everything. Like, are you serious? You mean to tell me the reason I'm saved is because of God? Yeah, absolutely. Any of us ever come to know God, it's because of God. Um, he chose us, he saved us, he favored us, he rescued us. Therefore, we should not boast about anything but the Lord. Let's reflect these three things. One is on being the way, we're on the way to salvation. Salvation is a threefold journey. We were, we are, we shall be. Number two, on God's power. God's power is unlike the power of this world. God's wisdom is unlike the wisdom of this world. And number three, on the cross. Are we tempted to push and promote spiritual gifts above the cross? This passage of scripture Reminds us to keep the cross as the main focus of all that we do in this journey. We are not to reduce the gospel to another gospel. We are, we are to keep Christ as he is declared in the Bible. How easily it is to neglect the cross and become another minded. Let us rely upon, let us talk about, let us pray about. We must become cross-centered in all that we do. It is the place where God's judgment was fulfilled and our liberty was given. We must become, I challenge you today as you leave this place to discuss the cross, to talk about the salvation of the Lord that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean and how will that affect my life? It's not enough to just go and fellowship and eat and rejoice, but we must think about these things. We must talk about these things and say, I'm not of a noble birth. I was born in Arkansas. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> there is nothing noble about Arkansas. Except <laughs> for hot springs. Hot springs. Exactly. <laughs> yes, my mom. But, but you, you understand that it's, it's not based on our doing. And we have exalted our human free, free will above God's will. It's not about us and what we choose. It's about what God has done. We celebrate the God who rescued us. And we don't boast that, oh, I'm, some, I'm, I'm saved. You know, you know, people write songs, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized. You know, I'm running for my life. And it's a pride that goes along with that. Well, if you're really saved, you'll see how humble, it'll humble you. Like, wow, you really saved me. You were found among me. I wasn't even seeking you. You know, you think about people who are going out and they, they're trying to get God through nature. They're trying to get God through, you know, maybe if I, if I, if I give my money to the church or if, if I do something for the poor, that's going to save me. You know, let, let, me, let, me, let me stop all these teenagers going on being prostitutes. Will that save me? That's a noble thing for you to do, but that's not going to save you. It's, it's, and and we, we talk about grace and like, you know, by grace we're saved. It, we can't earn this grace. It's given to us by God. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2 says, it is the gift of God. Your righteousness is a gift of God. Your holiness is a gift from God. You should, it's like, wow, God, you mean to tell me I get to present my body as a living sacrifice? I mean, I get to not cuss. I get to not sleep around before marriage as a, as a means of gratitude. I'm grateful that you rescued me. I'm no longer my holiness is de- driving or determining my position with God. But his righteousness towards me promotes me and empowers me to live a holy life. Growing up in holiness or hell background, it's like, man, you think if you thought something ungodly, oh, you're going to miss heaven. I mean, you caught in the movies looking at an R-rated movie and you die. We don't know if you made it in. I mean, do we have a gospel like that that is so weak? That, that you mean to tell me that my salvation is dependent upon whether or not I'm doing the right things? <laughs> that, that's very sobering. Father, we do pray. We pray that you'll give us an understanding of this cross and this gospel. Father, that we have yet to tap into even the surface of the gospel and the cross. Forgive us, Father. Strip away from us all these ideologies of church and Christianity and prayer and, and study of the scriptures that, that we, we, we think that we have something that we don't. For our wisdom is nothing. And your wisdom is everything. It is through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel you saved us. It is through the innocent life of a poor man by the name of Jesus, the historical Jesus who died for for guilty people like us. You sent Jesus to die for the sins of his people, and he died for us. You chose us. You, You called us. You empowered us. You gave us your spirit. You did these things. 
God, this salvation is of you. And we boast in you today. And we declare that it is because of your goodness that we are even alive. It is because of your love and your mercy that we are not consumed. It is because of your, 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 your kindness that we walk in the land of the living. God, I thank you that we have the privilege of, of prayer. It's because of who you are. It humbles us to know and understand that a God who is great and just and loving and yet full of wrath would see fit to save wretched people like ourselves. We deserve hell. We deserve a life without you. But you chose to unite us with yourself through your son. And we can plead the blood. We can take our stand because of what he did. We are righteous because of Christ and not of our own. And we do recognize these gifts and help us to grow in this. May we not be a spirit-centered church, but let us be a spirit-filled church that's focused on the cross of Christ. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name. Take a couple moments and, and reflect on this cross. Just a few moments. <laughs>